0: welcome to the acfcs financial crime cast a briefing featuring the latest news analysis and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum i'm brian spodekindle svp of product and programming with acfcs and i am excited to pull the threads of our collective identity crisis even further in the second part of this special two-part episode for those in the kyc and due diligence space i probably don't need to tell you that verifying customer identities has been a mess lately. Unfortunately, it's likely going to get worse before it gets better. Emerging tech like generative AI is fueling a new wave of identity risks and empowering criminals like never before. What does it take to navigate identity verification in this current moment? That's exactly what we'll explore in part two of this series, where we'll discuss what types of industries and companies actually need identity verification, strategies that companies are using to approach these identity challenges, and what you might need to consider when verifying your customer identities. If you missed part one, you'll find a link in the podcast description, and I urge you to check that out. But even if you didn't catch that one, there's plenty to sink your teeth into here. Once again, my guest and expert guide is Shane Oren, the Chief Revenue Officer with OCR Labs. Shane has a fascinating background and a journey in the ID verification space, which we reviewed in part one. Again, urge you to uh, take a listen. Shane, welcome back to the Financial Crime Cast. It's a real pleasure having you here. And uh, last time, we left off describing how AI would be a tool to empower existing fraud schemes the same way that... I might use, you know, ChatGPT, for example, to help kickstart an article or blog post. Fraudsters can do a similar thing. They can use prompts to help build elements of fake identities, for example. And this, you know, raises a question, makes me wonder, how does this impact the type and number of companies that need some form of ID verification? If it's getting easier and faster to falsify ID, Are you seeing an increase in the variety and type of companies seeking identity verification beyond the usual financial institution space?
1: Yeah, the trickle-down effect is real and it's happening. Uh, I don't know how old you are, but if you've applied for life insurance anytime recently in the last 12, 24 months, they ask you for an ID. Well, it's merely an ID that the guy actually just notarizes that he saw your ID and it matched. There was actually no, again, document fraud analysis run on that. So how do they know that I didn't create a fake ID with your picture on it or with my picture on it and your name? So when he took blood, yep, that was Shane. I matched it to the ID. We need to take one more step to protect the companies. Frosters are thinking about it, right? When you go to open a bank account, that's easy. It's always been that way. But what about when you get a speeding ticket? If it was that easy and I knew a synthetic ID would pass, could I put it up there? There are so many ways, but it is coming down farther and farther. We're giving kids not just a driver's license, but now they carry an ID card at a younger age, right? So they can go do things and access things differently. Um, I know it's going to be a tangent here. We don't have to go into it today. You can say, Shane, we're going to pass. But one of the highest fraud things happening right now is after birth or after death. 18 years, how many of us check our kids' credit scores? You don't but we do announce on social media that our kid was born weighs this much at this hospital and mom and dad are healthy and happy. Wait a second. You just gave out that kid's information. It's not hard to then build credit under a person. Even if you don't have their social scary enough to build credit and then use it about a year later to build your own scam slash phishing attack. And it routes back to that social, not yours. So after birth, after death are things that we don't think about. Because we're law-abiding, good people that just are doing what we're doing. The frosters are thinking about all these holes in the space, as we have to be. So, uh, long answer to a short question, but the reality is, Brian, it's breaking into every part of our life. As the text you just got is a is a very real reminder of that. Mm-hmm. To as soon as you're born, to when your parents pass away, you know these things are things we have to keep in mind about how do we, the public, protect ourselves. And then how do we encourage the businesses we do business with to have higher compliance levels? Even if I have to get a little bit more friction, what's that worth to you, the consumer? Is it worth not having your identity stolen and used maybe for something bad that gets you back in trouble? I think so, but I know that's not everyone's answer. They all want lightning speed like you open your iPhone, but sometimes security has to catch up to what the fraudsters are doing.
0: Yeah, and, uh, uh, to your point, I think it's a great, great answer. I think there's there has been a bit of a pendulum swing, you know, away from the I want the pure, you know, frictionless, super easy experience to additional uh, increasing concern about Um, you know, my, my security risk and the risk of my data and that type of thing. Not that people are not still out there, as you say, on social, um, posting all this information for public view, but the level of awareness and concern is, is increasing. It's maybe not where it should be, but it's absolutely. Uh, increasing. But yeah, speaking of uh, you know, you mentioned scary things, it's pretty scary to think that yeah, you know, after death there continues to be uh an after a fraudulent afterlife, so to speak, where, you know, the the identities of the dead are being uh stolen for fraudulent purposes. But yeah, it speaks to the level of uh of threat and uh creativity, you know, it's a morbid creativity, but creativity nonetheless that we're uh, we're up against here, so uh, you know. Let's let's use that as a springboard to kind of a little bit about okay, what what, what do we do about it? Um, and we, you've touched on this, and we've touched we've talked a little bit about it, but I'd like to dive into the. The the next question on you know if the landscape is broadening if the fraud risk is 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 more comprehensive than it's ever been before then what do you look for in an ID verification solution what should organizations be considering when they're trying to trying to take on this this risk and uh, and find a partner as we talked about to help manage it
1: I'd say there's a few simple things if you're looking for a vendor provider to help you with this and combat fraud first thing you want to check is Do they own their own tech stack? And that matters for the following reason. If they're gonna take an image and use it, are they actually running a document fraud check on it? Or are they just using it as most vendors do today? And this is gonna be a shock. You type in your information. You say, hey, my name is Shane. I live at this address. You're about to look at a California driver's license. They've already told it what it's gonna see. And what it's really doing is just matching the information I typed in manually matches what's on the document. It's not actually running a fraud check on the document to ensure it's valid, hasn't been altered in any way. So the first thing you wanna ask your vendor is, hey, do you run a document fraud analysis? If the answer is yes, that's great. Then what you wanna ask him is, what do you do with it? Is there a liveness component because just having the document and a lot of them today, even banks that are going to be listening to this, don't actually do a facial check to make sure that the person in control of the document is the person that it should be. So you want to do a document fraud assessment. Then what you want to do is do a liveness check. You want to use geolocation or geofencing to make sure that both of those are happening in the same spot. Uh, We see about three attempts per minute in America alone. On people trying to do it where, uh, Brian, you would have the idea in the East Coast, I'd be the liveness on the West Coast. We'd both be on the same machine and you'd pass it to me and I'd use my face just to prove it and fake it out. So, just to say, yes, I have liveness isn't enough. Computers can put in deep fakes into it. So, you wanna ask them, is it a mobile first application? If it's a web based application, all of us are doing it, even right now, I've got an external camera plugged into my machine that allows me to put a filter. So now I can deep fake it. So do they have a way to detect deep fakes? It's a question you want to ask your provider to make sure that you can minimize the amount of things that you've got to make a decisioning on, right? If they can tell you hundred percent, it's the government issued ID. Yes, I saw Shane and he is alive and breathing. And and three, he's authorized to do this activity. I can minimize some of the other things out there. So I would tell you if I don't go into a, too much of a tangent, those are probably the three key things that I would ask and encourage everyone to ask your vendors about, hone in on it, ask the question, listen to the answer and don't just take the answer as enough. You need to check and ask them, how are you gonna test it? Hand your ID to somebody else and see if they can get through, vice versa. Um, these are things that we just don't think about because we're not criminals, we're not the fraudsters, right? We, we're we like, oh man, it's a cool solution. Well, One more thing, Brian, and I'll stop, I promise. If the ID fails, if the liveness check fails, or today a lot of them I could pass with a piece of paper and I could shake it and it would tell me I was alive because it's looking for movement and a shaking of a piece of paper works. If I know that, fraudsters know that. So make sure that what happens if it's not a live person. Does it go to human review? Does that human bring in bias, yes or no? There's a lot of call centers. There's a lot of bias from us, the consumers about what call centers mean. It means I got long wait times. I'm going to speak to someone that doesn't speak my language. It's going to be a frustrating experience. Is that good or bad for the consumer? So I'll stop there. DFA, I think is important. And I think liveness is most important. And those are things that you're Listeners and other vendors should ask.
0: Those are great, yeah, really great points and some excellent practical takeaways that I think will have some uh, some listeners rushing back to review their <laughs> their vendors. There, um, you know, I want to I want to follow up with a, a question on you know on testing. You mentioned you do this and, you know, I'm wondering how frequently you actually see financial institutions and I'm sure, you know, many of them have teams doing this, but just generally, you know, how how, how routine or how uh, widely adopted is that type of like, hey, let's just try to break the system, you know, let's try to run our uh, run our liveness check and see if it works. Is this something kind of most institutions, organizations are doing? Is it a little bit here and there? Any experience with that? Yeah.
1: So we get asked a lot because our name today is OCR Labs. We are having a branding change because of it, but because our name is OCR Labs, we get a lot of people are asking us to come and test their infrastructure. Hey, could you come and do a penetration test for things like liveness? There are certified bodies like I and NIST that will do that testing on their behalf. And they'll come in and try and test your liveness engine. There is no certification or testing engine for a document fraud analysis. So What I tell everyone listening is get outside your comfort zone. Go crawl around on the web a little bit and get to what we call the dark web and ask some questions. Find if there's somebody, there's some good, some hackers who have turned for good and you can hire them and bring them in and say, all right, get into my system. How would you break in? I would challenge that most old school brick and mortar businesses aren't doing that because they're afraid of what the results might say. Now. Does that mean they're not protecting the consumer's data or they're more worried about it getting out? There's ways to contract with these people as we do to test our own system. They're good. They will test it. They will, be, they will give you the feedback. They will keep it quiet. They do their job because that's their business. I don't think enough on my experience, Brian, are going out and challenging and stretching their bounds of what's normal enough. Because if they were, I think we see a lot less of those big names on that list Right. Yeah. So we know that they're not doing it because they sometimes bury your head in your sand until you have an incident. And I was second to that to say that the fines haven't gotten big enough to really justify the companies trying to be that proactive. I'm not saying they're not doing something. They are. They all are. But are they doing enough? And my answer today is going to be no.
0: Yeah, and I would I would definitely agree with you on that. I think, uh, you know, it, it, there have been a handful of pretty high profile cases, right? But for the most part, I think there's still very much a sort of fly under the mentality, uh, uh, fly under the radar mentality. And, you know, hey, let's not upset the apple cart, so to speak. So um, until we see some, you know, major regulatory actions, penalties, so on and so forth, we probably won't see the level of productivity we should, or uh, proactivity that we, we maybe should, uh, unfortunately. But I want to return to a a, a term you, you mentioned, a really important one, liveness, and particularly biometric liveness. And I've heard this used a lot of different ways in the industry, you know, liveness can mean the person moves around on camera, you know, it can refer to certain, uh, you know, physical characteristics, we talk about biometric liveness, but I'd rather hear it, you know, from an expert, what is biometric liveness, first of all, for those listeners out there who may not be familiar with it. And, and why is it such an area of focus right now in identity verification?
1: Yeah. So you've got really four types of biometrics, right? You've got your fingerprints, you've got your voice, you've got your eyes, and then you have overall liveness. So when I say biometric liveness, it means to detect that you're a live breathing person. Um, Regardless of race or gender, you should be able to identify that that person is a person and they're breathing. It's so important because with the data breaches that have happened, especially the ones recently and the amount of information that's gotten out, Your voice prints no longer safe. Your fingerprints are no longer safe. And believe it or not, your eyes are no longer safe. Um, There's a lot that goes into that. So when we talk about biometric liveness, today, most people have built it. So it just uses your forward-facing camera and you take a selfie and they go, okay, great. It's there. But if you've ever seen the app, it's all the rage right now. Make your old photos, sing and sing songs. And People are using it because it's, it's fun. It's a it's sketch, right? Let, let's take a picture of that photo and it will sing. Well, guess what? That actually singing, the movement of your mouth, even though it's complete deep fake, passes most of the liveness vendors in the space today. At a 20 or 30%, not 100% of the time, but 20 or 30% of that will pass. So yes, it's a cool app, but we think of it as a cool app to make our photos work. Frosters say, aha, I now have a new tool that's free in the app store that can make this ID talk and move. And Shane's face will now pass liveness on 99% of the vendors in our market today because the way they built it using the camera in your native phone or on your computer was built not with that use case in mind, right? So they now see that as movement and you're in. So there's a few vendors out there that check actually for your skin pulse to make sure you're alive and breathing. That's how they're doing it. Just like an Apple Watch sensor does with that green and white light on the back of your Apple Watch. They're using that mentality to try and check it. It could be spoofed with the deep fake, but for the most part, that's a pretty good check. And then if you think about going to the next level, that AI version of it, using machine learning to not just look at me, but to also analyze my scene right? Is there a tree behind me that's also moving? Is the sun coming in from the left side of my face? And when I presented that ID and my selfie video, did it match? Do they correlate? Is the same thing being seen 30 seconds apart from each other? So people have to go to the next level. And I would tell you this, Brian, that I don't think consumers have reached a comfort level where they're all going to say, yes, facial biometrics is the way to go. They're still a little nervous, even though when I stand up in front of a crowd of 10 or 15,000 people at some of these conferences, and I ask them to raise their hand. How many of them have an iPhone, a Google Pixel, or an Android phone? Raise your hand. It's like 95% of the audience. (laughs) So they're already using facial biometrics. They just don't realize what it's called. They just know their phone opens when they look at it, and it's cool tech, and they like it. What they fail to realize is most phones, if I use that app that we just talked about, which then takes my picture and makes it move, will gain me access to their device. Mm. So it's not enough yet. They need to be better at the technology. We're just not there.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's a great point that the, the level of awareness, you know, the level of... uh Consumer um, uh, usage versus understanding of what this biometric technology entails is there's a pretty there's a pretty big delta there that we need to kind of correct, right? Um, because it's absolutely being used all the time, but when you talk about it as you know facial facial scanning or thumbprint scanning or that type of thing, people get very concerned and it seems very big brothery, right? So um, yeah, I think uh, I think we have a we have a knowledge gap to overcome. In the the consumer space um, Last question I'll throw out there and this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion um, you know, we've touched upon it throughout this conversation and it's the big buzz right now is is the generative AI space um, do you see that as kind of the next big, Identity threat, right? Um, that we need to maybe not get out ahead because we have, uh, we've we've uh, we've talked about always being a couple steps behind here, right? But uh, is that the is that the the you know the big identity identity threat that that we're up against? And if not, you know what else are you kind of tracking out there? You know, um, in this in this identity uh, theft space.
1: Yeah, generative AI is the next threat. And it is because how fast they can access. So if I take you back in time for a second, um, Facebook, um, TikTok, Instagram, you put on certain things on there and they've built crawlers now to be fake accounts that crawl and look for people to say things like, um, hey, I went on vacation in Hawaii or it's my 20 year class reunion. It's actually capturing all these bits of information about you across all of your social platforms. It may not know your username fully yet, but it actually goes out and crawls and captures these things. And it would take it a year to finally break in and figure out, ah, Shane goes to Starbucks every Monday at 7 a.m. So he's probably got a Starbucks loyalty card. And oh, by the way, Starbucks loyalty card doesn't kick me out after three password attempts. So they would use that website, take all the data they've gotten, Figure out your username. Once that works, then they start speed stuffing your password. Once they broke into your Starbucks account, the rest of it was easy. But that took a year to get enough data to build up the database and then do that attack. Sophisticated hacker. Today, a non-sophisticated hacker can just type in. Tell me about Shane. And all of a sudden, here's all this information. There's simple websites that are scary and free. That you can go to and it'll tell you what high school you went to how many sisters and brothers you have what ages they are that's public data so if i can get a hold of that now in seconds and i'm a and i'm a bad actor how fast can i action that to use if i know you're out of the country and you're not going to get your 2fa and it's going to come directly to me because you clicked on the link today how fast can i take over your identity it's It's super scary, to be honest. It's happening in minutes, not days or years. And we, the consumer, just have to be cognizant of how much information do we put out there? Should we put out a fake birthday on social? Because you still want people to say happy birthday. It's just nice to do. But maybe you should change your year or your date or your month, right? Things like that, simple techniques like that can protect you, the consumer, and throw off the fraudster. And if yours is wrong and it doesn't go through in the first attempt, there's way easier targets than you. So think about that. What one thing could you, the consumer, do? And then the businesses, how can they protect? What systems can they put in place to prevent generative AI from making it so easy to access and get in? And you're going to do things like putting what we talked about today on this podcast controls, extra security measures, things that constantly monitor my activity and know I couldn't be in two places at once. Um, These are things that we as a society have to do because generative AI, Brian, is real and it's coming on hot and heavy. It's only been around five, six months, truly, and it's not going away anytime soon. It's only going to get
0: smarter. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for that answer. I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, to kind of, kind of wrap it up, we talked about a number of scary things in this, uh, in this podcast and, and, uh, that's, that's absolutely one that I think is scaring a lot of people, but, you know, to add on a hopeful note, I'm glad there's creative driven people like yourself and, you know, the folks at OCR labs who, uh, are out there being creative and being persistent to take on that, that threat. So, uh, fantastic <laughs> conversation, you know, uh, I urge the listeners out there to uh, to learn more about what OCR has to offer OCR labs.com at their site. Again, my guest has been Shane Oren chief revenue officer with OCR and, uh, Thank you so much for both the big picture view of some of the fraud risks out there, a little bit of a a whirlwind tour through the identity management space, where we've been, where we're going, and some really great practical considerations that institutions need to learn how to unpack this challenge, find a solution that fits their unique problem set, and practical things you can do as a, as an individual and as a a consumer to uh, protect yourself. So Shane, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Anytime. Great. And for all the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. This has been uh, this episode of the Financial Crime Cast, but there are many more available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, many other places where your favorite podcasts live. So thank you for being here and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Crime Cast. Bye for now, everyone.